Well, it's all quiet on the US front today, apart from the sound of eating and much merriment, of course, and maybe a little bit of extra joy in Europe too, with the PMI numbers coming out a bit stronger than expected. Hence the warnings, perhaps, from Lagarde and other ECB members that the fight against inflation is not over yet. The same story in the UK, where PMIs also came in stronger than expected. And we were saying earlier in the week that maybe the Riksbank would be the last to raise rates before Christmas, but no, they stayed where they are. It's Friday, the 24th of November, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, today, a fall in the US dollar down almost 0.2% on the DXY. Why? Well, in part because the euro is up almost 0.2%. The pound is up a third of 1%. The Aussie dollar is up a quarter of a percent, which is uh, now just over 65.6 US cents. No movement in US bonds because it is Thanksgiving, but UK 10-year gilts up 10 basis points today. 10 years in Germany and France are up six basis points. In fact, most of Europe is up six or seven. Aussie 10 years yesterday rose four basis points to 4.48%. Add another six basis points on futures since then. And the US stock market closed today, but shares are rising in Europe, up 0.2% for the Eurostox 50 and the DAX and the CAC Carrant and the FTSE 100, all rising more or less in unison. And oil is down today, 1.1% off WTI, 0.7% off Brent, which is now around 81.40 a barrel. So on a very quiet day, it's NAB's Ray Attrell who joins me. And I guess the the strength in the euro and the pound relates to the PMIs that we saw uh, on Thursday, which were a bit stronger than expected by and large for the euro area and particularly for Germany, where manufacturing has gone from 40.8 in October to 42.3. Services up a little as well to 48.7. So that's all good news. Good morning, Phil. Um, Yes, in a relative sense, it is, isn't it? But I'm just looking down the entire suite of PMIs for services, manufacturing and the composite readings, whether it's the Eurozone, Germany or France, and every single one of them's got a four in front of it rather than a five, which yeah. essentially means that, you know, we are still in contractionary territory, you know, whether you UK European... services manages to get a five in front I of it. I didn't mention we're going to talk about the UK and that, yeah. and that yeah, yeah, probably yeah. explains yeah. a bit of sterling outperformance. But um, but yes, everything, you know, from an intraday market point of view, everything is always relative to expectations, isn't it? And as you note there, you know, if I look at uh, Germany, um, you know, manufacturing, as you say, 42.3 up from 40.8, about a point more than expected. Uh, the composite was also um, just over a point better than expected. And, um, you know, and, and services, what, 48.7 from 48.5. You're having to use a microscope here to really detect a, an improvement. And remember, we're talking about a decline in the rate of decline. So uh, we're into yeah, second order exactly. derivatives here. But, uh, you know, but on the it's day... It's a slowdown least, in the slowdown, yeah. yeah. That's it. I think the broad. I think the broad point is that we we are, we are seeing more evidence, at least some kind of stabilisation uh, in growth. Even though you know there's a good chance that uh, you know Germany will print a negative Q4 print and will be confirmed as in recession. But uh, say on the day with nothing else going on, you know every excuse just to take the, the euro a little bit higher. Although you know looking at where we were prior to the initial ones coming out from France and then following through to the eurozone ones again, you, you're almost having to use a microscope to spot a you know, a change in the euro. Right. Well, yeah, I was okay, that was going to be my next question, whether it's going to save them from a recession, because, of course, we get the the final read of the Q3 number, which is currently running at minus 0.1. But you think they're going to be a negative in Q4 
as well. Well, obviously that's been that's been the forecast, and including by some prominent ex ECB officials like Mario Draghi, for example. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I think it's you know it, it it's it's unders and overs across the different eurozone economies, and uh, you know maybe the eurozone itself can can just uh, just about escape recession. But I think from a market point of view, you know, it's just you know the numbers play a little bit to sort of increasing confidence that um, you know if there is a recession, you know it's going to be a very mild one and it doesn't look like the, uh, the eurozone economy in aggregate is falling into a hole here. Well, the Gemini IFO numbers are out later on, aren't they? Last time, you know, the October numbers, they were on the rise. Sentiment had improved on current conditions and there was a little less pessimism about the coming months. So uh, maybe it'll be a bit more of the same today. No, it could be. And that's certainly the expectation, whether you look at the overall business climate reading or you look at the what the current assessment and what's called the expectation sub-series. Um, you know, the Bloomberg consensus is for small improvements across the board there. And, uh, you know, I think as we've, we've been noting and certainly the conversations with Gavin, some of the sort of more established national surveys, you know, have been painting a somewhat less bleak picture than, than, than a lot of these, um, you know, young upstart PMIs, which in the case of Europe have only been around for uh, you know for, for, for years rather than decades so um, so let's see what mm. that has to hold today because well, it is it is curious isn't it that if you know if things are so bad if PMIs are showing that you know here's an economy which is in recession in the case of Germany that we've got Christine Lagarde saying you know inflation could still be out of control and then we had the ECB minutes yesterday and I'm going to quote I'm going to quote central bank speak here so try and stay awake uh, the view was held that the governing council should be ready on the basis of an ongoing assessment for further interest rate hikes, if necessary, even if this was not part of the current baseline scenario. In other words, they're keeping the op- options open and there could be another hike, even you know if they admit that the disinflation process might have moved along faster than they'd expected. So talk about an each way bet. Absolutely. And I think that you know if you read between the lines there, well, actually, you don't have to read between the lines because there was an explicit mention of needing to avoid an unwarranted loosening of financial conditions. I think we've heard that from the other side of the Atlantic, haven't we? Had nausea in the last uh, mm. month or two. And um, there was specific mention to the weakness of the euro, which is obviously one of the components of, of overall financial conditions as, as a potential, um, you know, inflation tailwind. Although, of course, you know, we're talking about the October minutes and we've had a pretty decent rally in the euro dollar exchange rate since then. So I think this is a little bit sort of old news. But uh, but the overall message, and we've actually yeah. heard it from uh, um, the ECB's Villeroy just in the last uh, half an hour or so has been out saying the ECB won't raise rates again, excluding surprises. And I think that is the the overall message. But right. still getting this pushback against expectations for uh, you know for, for early easing, even though our view is that uh, you know come Q2 next year, you know we think there's a good chance if inflation plays out as we think it it will, um, you know that they will be uh, having their finger on the easing trigger. Right, but they're not ready to say that yet because Nagel was saying as well they should they should avoid cutting rates too early. I mean, Christine Lagarde's been saying it as well, hasn't she, uh, this week? And she's talking again later on today, so no doubt she'll be sticking to the same script. So all of this has, uh, of course, pushed, uh, well, it's helped the euro, as we said. Uh, we're also seeing uh, European yields up quite a bit. Uh, maybe they'll go higher, because maybe a, a flood of German bonds, the debt break, is about to be taken off. Uh, it's uh, written into the Constitution, but it can be broken if they declare a state of emergency and uh, and apparently the finance minister is looking at doing that and issuing a supplementary budget so 
What's that going to do if we see uh, all of a sudden more German bonds on the market? Well, it's going to mean two things. And I think it's already showing up, as, as, as you noted in your intro, with, with higher bond yields. You know, they're up, uh, or Eurozone bond yields mm. generally are up, but uh, which I think partly reflects those less bad than expected PMIs. But, um, you know, obviously we're only a few days away from the German cost- constitutional court striking down that uh, 60 billion of, uh, of planned additional borrowing by the German government. But, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm reminded, what was it called? Schwartz Null, wasn't it? This the, uh, is the, the net, the, the black zero, um, mm. you know, constitutionally enshrined, um, you know, budget rule where effectively you couldn't borrow more than you raised in taxes other than for investment. But uh, anyway, the upshot here is if, if Germany is going to find ways around that through this supplementary budget and effectively suspending the debt break, yes, it means more borrowing. So other things equal, it means higher uh, German and that probably means broader Eurozone debt yields, but it also means more government spending. So, you know, we can, you know compare yeah. and contrast, yeah. you know, the, the fiscal situation and, and, and how, you know, efforts to bolster, you know, investment through public-private partnerships, whatever you want to call it, contrasts with the uh, the impact that the Inflation Reduction Act has had in the US in driving, you know, a massive increase, particularly in, uh, in, in, in structures, if you like, in terms of, you know, hard investment into, you know, new infrastructure that's going to generate, um, you know, new um, products and services relating to renewables. So the fact that there, you know, it looks like there will be more government spending, albeit finance, more borrowing, you know, on net, it, it should be good news for the for the economy. So um, mm. if anything, it means that what would otherwise be significant fiscal headwinds blowing on the German economy next year could be much less so. Yeah. Uh, so the Riksbank, uh, many had expected them to lift rates. We talked about them lifting rates. They didn't. They've stuck at 4%. But a hawkish hold, uh, even though it was a unanimous decision that they should hold, uh, we've seen a slight fall in the Swedish uh, krona on the back of even uh, of that, even though it's the euro dollar rose. Um, I guess they just want to wait and see. Well, I suppose so. Although I'm just catching up with uh, with, with Gavin's comments uh, after the Rix Bank, and he said that the Rix Bank nevertheless remains joined at the hip with other central bank messaging. With the Governor Thieden noting, it's very clear we've not lost the chance to hike again. We'll do that again if inflation does not go in the right direction towards two percent. So uh, an unequivocal, you know, hawkish bias, if you like, or tightening bias coming through there. But say, just on the day, um, there was mm. a small majority looking for a hike, and therefore you know, the Swedish krona was was weaker on the day. Do you know one of these days, as all these central banks follow each other, one of them is accidentally going to put out a statement with the wrong central bank. They go, oh, my God, we left the ECB in there. We didn't put Rick's bank in. Uh, look, uh, a day after the UK's autumn statement, their PMIs, as we said, also surprised on the upside. So services, 50, 50, starts with the five, Ray, 50.5. Uh, the composite has gone down from 48.7 to 50.1. Now, Andrew Bailey has been warning about services inflation. So is he right? He might not welcome these numbers. Does this make you know make the chance of another hike more likely, perhaps, from the Bank of England? Um, well, you know, I agree. You know, fifty is a lot better than that. something with a five is much better than it's a growing. four because technically it means mm. it is growing, and you know the difference from expectations was more material than has been the case in any of those Eurozone ones. And that's certainly shown up in a, a bit of outperformance by sterling. So if you look at the Euro sterling exchange rate, for example, it's falling a, a couple of tenths overnight. So, um, you know, this is not reason to be breaking out the champagne and saying it was rosy in the, in the garden. But uh, in terms of what it 
means for the Bank of England. I think that you know the messaging has clearly been that uh, you know we want to hold here, and uh, let's not go into Table Mountain analogies. But uh, so at the margin, I don't think that uh, this is going to have a material impact on uh, on UK rate expectations. With the market mm. still remaining reasonably convinced that uh, it's more about the length of the hold here rather than whether or not further tightening is in the offing. And, you know, we've seen GDP growth bumbling along in the UK, and that is despite uh, the net migration numbers. So do you remember David Cameron said uh, years ago he was going to get migration down to tens of thousands? Well, he's done that. It's specifically 75 tens of thousands. So three quarters of a million net migration last year, which is the highest ever. Uh, and yet GDP growth is so low. So imagine GDP without it, what the GDP per capita number uh, would be. But anyway, uh, I mean, uh, Geert Wilders as well. I mean, that he's won the uh, most votes in the Dutch election. Uh, I'm, I'm not quite sure what that changes. I mean, he probably is going to find it hard to form a coalition, isn't he? But he got in simply because of the same issue, because of uh, too much net migration as far as uh, the people of Holland were concerned. So, yeah, he's going to, but he's going to find it hard. I mean, they may find that, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty and unrest because they're going to be without a government for a while while he tries to form one. But, uh, no, absolutely. So there's not lots of moving parts there, obviously, but uh, it does seem that, you know, mm. certainly in those parts of Europe, you know, the backlash is against the strength of, of immigration, but, but not so in the UK. I mean, that was the real sort of, you know, the, the revelation post-Brexit was that when everybody goes home because they're not allowed to be in the UK, guess what there are labor shortages and, and wages start going up and it creates inflation so we're not seeing quite the kind of voter backlash <laughs> against against those numbers that you cite and you know labor is still at this mm. stage looks, looks like a, an absolute shoe in doesn't it to win the election expected yeah. next year but it, you know also in the u.s i'm look, looking at various polls and and you know underlying some of the reasons for uh, for biden doing so poorly cost of living you know stands proud as number one because of the the fall in sort of disposable income due to high inflation, but uh, immigration is also pegged as, as a major concern for, uh, for a majority yeah. of US voters. So uh, that's going to be well, a, a big issue as we obviously head towards the US elections next year and how that plays out. Well, this, uh, exactly. So Geert Wilders is another one who's against the uh, against the EU. So sort of like after we've covered Biden uh, uh, losing next year and uh, Trump getting back in, the year after that, we can cover the, uh, the collapse of the European community. We've got it all mapped out mm. for the morning call for the next few years uh, so nothing local today we could go home now couldn't we except uh, no because in the US the continuing PMIs uh, obviously not as important as the ISMs but uh, they're out early tomorrow morning Aussie time you might not want to stay up for them because it's very early in the morning uh, but obviously it's useful to look at PMIs and compare and contrast the direction of travel with Europe isn't it? No absolutely so that's really is the big issue and, and you know think if you think about markets in the last three or four weeks and this big you know fall back in, in US bond yields and the removal of expectations for uh, Fed policy tightening um, you know that's been the you know the big driver and today it's, it's more you know it's, it's it's all about relativities, but at the moment, it's the US economy expected to show much weaker growth in the fourth quarter and, and going into next year that has been the case in the first three quarters of the year, um, you know, regardless of whether or not the rest of the world looks like it's doing better. So, you know, if the PMI numbers that we get from the US tonight, albeit not as uh, influential as the more established ISM surveys, you know, corroborate that view that the economy is weakening, then I think it, it plays to, a, you know, perhaps 
a continuation of, of the softer US dollar that we've seen and mm. uh, the fallback that we've seen in bond yields. So very quickly before we go, New Zealand retail sales, they're out this morning. They're expected to be down. Japan's CPI, uh, if it's high, we talked about it yesterday, how the Bank of Japan likes to throw in a pre-Christmas surprise. Should we get ready for that if these numbers surprise today? Um, I don't think so. Um, I think the messaging from the BAJ, BOJ is that, uh, you know, we're not contemplating any significant changes in any of our monetary policy settings. You know, this side of seeing evidence that the 2024 wage round is going to produce, um, you know, wage gains that are deemed to be consistent with 2% inflation. So, uh, you know, maybe if we do get some upside mm. surprises that uh, there will be a, a view that maybe they will spring that, uh, that Christmas surprise, which you say they have a significant form in, in delivering in uh, decades past at least but um, um, but no but overall we're still expecting that uh, we're not going to see any signs at least in, in moderation of those sort of core measures that uh, that the BOJ itself is focused on very good well you did so well there Ray uh, we're going to get you back on Monday morning if that's okay with you and then we might leave it for course, a while yeah, but I'm we'll, looking forward to it yeah <laughs> talk to you then good talk <laughs> will do thanks Phil uh, but before we talk to Ray again we're going to talk to Mercer's Kylie Wilmont about what is is going on in the super industry where are they investing uh, mercer are they going to buy up someone else as well got to ask that question and uh, when you look on a global scale why australia isn't quite rating at the top of the super industry australia out of the 47 ranks fifth and gets a b plus so we're going to say that's pretty good but it's not i think the highest uh, score in there is an a um, and that the netherlands get that and actually the nordic countries uh, rate quite heavily um in the up the top of the end of the, the index um what does australia need to do well that's the question isn't it you have to listen in to the full edition of the weekend edition to find out the answer to that uh, that is uh, coming out this afternoon so you can enjoy it over the weekend back on monday morning as i say with ray actual i'm phil dobby for nab i'll see you then thanks for listening